If telehealth got a shot in the arm during the pandemic, what's next for this convenient and very appreciated benefit? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman. You know, telehealth got, if you'll forgive the expression, a shot in the arm during quarantine time, and it kind of really became more of a standard thing. People became much more comfortable with it. It's always been growing, and there have been some fantastic companies that have come up, and some have merged, and others have rolled out, but... All of a sudden now, when we couldn't get out or we shouldn't have gotten out or whatever, telehealth was the only way to get to doctors. And it's great, but telehealth has a second gear. It's not just the piece that we saw over the quarantine. It's not just the talk to a physician or a behavioral therapist or a nutritionist and pay a copay. There's more that can be done. And so we invited Justin Davis, who's CEO at Congruity Health, to join us because he's been thinking about this problem and they're doing a lot of interesting things. And we thought we'd learn kind of what telehealth 2.0 looks like. With that, welcome, Justin. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it, David. So let's level set and talk about where telehealth is for most people today. Telehealth today. So, you know, through COVID, obviously the last 18 months, two years has been just a, a whirlwind. It is, how do I change the way in which I get access to healthcare. If it's not safe for me to go in, how do I access my my general doctor? You know, for years it's been around where, you know, 8 p.m. my my four-year-old has the sniffles and I've got to figure out a, a way to, you know, figure out whether or not I should bring them to daycare the next day or things like that. So it's it's been around to serve those types of purposes. But all of a sudden, the virtual healthcare delivery became necessary. So we've had two years or a year and a half through COVID of this necessary shift. You know, now that we're coming around on the other side, though it's, you know, we're still not quite there yet, but it's going to nestle into this new place. What is the purpose of telehealth? Is it for that purpose I described where I have the sniffles, I maybe have a, you know, a pink eye potentially, and I need somebody to take a quick look at it, that type of thing, or, you know, I don't want to spend an hour driving to the doctor. So it's not just about that type of access, but what we've got to start thinking about is how do we leverage telehealth to actually fill healthcare gaps and actually have a very purposeful need? In other words, how do we use it to help drive down cost, become much more targeted in how we intervene and and change the cost curve and actually define what better clinical outcomes look like because of the way in which telehealth is integrated in our health system. So we're we're right in the middle of that shift, figuring out what that is. So the ROI of telehealth is about to be defined. It's not yet, and it needs to be. So that's what gets really it gets me really excited in the work we're doing at Congruity is trying to really help figure out what that is to make sure that it's driven, it's purposeful. It's the right people are using telehealth for the right reasons. 
access is always a big deal for folks uh, in rural areas. You know, there's been a bunch of mergers and acquisitions and such in among some of the larger players in the industry. Is their new size and scope helping to drive some of this thought process? It is. I think what it's going to take is it's going to take a lot of the big players who who know the space well to come together to find creative solutions. It's not going to be one. Having young startups with really smart folks that understand healthcare to come in and be nimble and make some meaningful changes is relevant, but it's also going to take some power for some of the big players to see some real shift. Now, you mentioned some gaps. So let's talk about from your perspective, where do you see is the gaps that telehealth has today? I think there's opportunities in in high risk patients, folks with you know chronic illness that need better management of those chronic illnesses that need to be tended to and or intervened with in a much different way. I think telehealth has a particular place that can actually help fill those gaps. You know, you have your your PCP that manages your care. You have a care coordinated team that manages your health care. It gets really expensive. Brick and mortar gets really hard. Traveling gets really hard. I believe telehealth can fit a really interesting niche to help sort of close that continuity of care, close that gap, communicate with those care coordination teams, and actually help folks change the trajectory down that sort of high risk, high cost path. So do I understand you correctly? I mean, telehealth, at least in my experience, has been kind of one directional until very, very recently. It's been the example you gave. You know, I pick up the phone, I pick up my my cell phone, I pick up a computer, log on, and I talk to Dr. Davis and say, these are my symptoms, this is what's going on, what should I do? Are you talking about having telehealth where it reaches back out to me or it preemptively reaches to me? And how would that work? So I think this is the this is a key to the whole piece, David. Right now, what we see or what we've seen in the past and it's starting to change, but it's been passive. It's been, you know, telehealth company waiting for Justin Davis to call because his family has a need or my kid or myself. We we have a very particular need. So it's passive. It's not necessarily proactive. And a lot of times, even when it is managing some sort of illness, it's it's very much a post-diagnosis intervention or assist, if you will. The way I see this thing shifting and I, I see the meaningful change that it can make is when you can get to a place where it's pre-diagnosis or emerging diagnosis, where we can understand when folks are on a particular path towards chronic illness or towards poor outcome, and telehealth companies can be positioned really well to do that outreach and that proactive care. So they can start going the other direction instead of waiting for calls to come in in a passive way. They can start doing some proactive reach out to help educate consumers in, you know, on one, the path they're on to the access that they have to to great benefits and great care to make sure that they can make better choices. Does that start with claims data? Is, Is that where you see that starting? It starts with data in general. I think claims data is a huge piece of it because understanding the patient journey through data helps us understand when the right interventions are to happen or when they could happen. What does pre or emerging look like? How do I know Justin Davis is on a path to this diagnosis or Justin Davis, if he continues down the path he's on, will become part of this high risk, high cost patient population? How do we keep these folks healthy? So I think managing this data, you know, we're in a great place with machine learning, artificial intelligence, the things we can do with data is absolutely incredible today. Leveraging 
tools like that, leveraging that expertise with healthcare data to understand the journey that these patients go down. For example, a type 2 diabetic, you know, we start talking about folks that look pre-diabetic. So now that's become sort of a diagnosis is pre-diabetes. Right. Okay, so what about pre-pre-diabetes? How do I know I'm ahead? How do we keep shifting this thing ahead to educate people on the path they're on, educate them on the access and resources they have to shift, to basically change that curve and change their trajectory? That's what I want to be able to do. I think that's, that's the need here. When you talk about resources, I know there have been some initial forays. Um, our friend Samir Kamar, who's with MedLion out on the West Coast, came up with a, a device called a MedWand that can sit at somebody's house. Because right now, the patient-physician interaction is really two-dimensional. The physician can look at somebody, they can listen, but they don't get any telemetry. With Sam's device, obviously, they're getting some telemetry. You can look, they, he can, the physician can direct you, you know, poke this in your ear, poke this in your nose, poke it down your throat, put it here, you know, we'll get this rate, we'll get that rate. Do you see in-home technology marrying up with the follow-up care from those initial visits? No question. I think part of that's going to be driven by CMS. I think CMS, a lot of things are driven by what CMS decides, but the shift to push people to manage things at home better and more continually is going to help a few things. One, it's gonna, I think it's going to increase compliance. So patients with these devices at home will be more likely to manage and pay attention to the things that they're, you know, they're being asked to from their physicians. The other key piece to that is, that it, I go back to data. Being able to do that, manage claims data, understand the journey that these folks are on, and actually get in real time updates on blood pressure, glucose levels, you know, these types of things, it can help become proactive very quickly because you can see spikes and patterns and you can look at longitudinal data to help us understand more about the journey so then we can make, make those shifts. So more and more of that, I think, will end up in people's homes. Anytime we can shift folks to be able to manage themselves on their own effectively under the guidance of, you know, physicians and experts, I think that's just going to make us better and more scalable and ultimately drive down the total cost of care because the consumers, the patients need to be a big part of this ecosystem. And right now, I don't think they're playing a big enough role in their own care. I think these tools and access the way we're talking about it will position them to be able to have more of that say. And now, a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. Visit us at shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients, crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, back to our discussion. Well, in version 1.0 of telehealth, the telehealth benefit was more plan-driven. 
It's a benefit the plan provided. Do you see telehealth 2.0 as it starts fleshing out to be an extension of a physician's office, almost like having a licensed practical nurse or a physician's assistant, that they'll embrace it as a way to extend their practice? Because I'm not sure there's a lot of that going on right now, unless I'm wrong, in which case, correct me. No, I don't see a lot of that going on. I think it I think it needs to be. And one of the things that I'm a huge proponent of is, and you'll hear me say this a lot, is just the continuity of care. Staying connected to the folks that actually coordinate the specialists, the PCPs. I mean, it's really important that the data and information gets passed along to all folks involved. For telehealth to serve that purpose, it needs to nestle into that ecosystem. It needs to be tighter aligned. It is not telehealth Dr. Davis trying to steal patients from, you know, Dr. Saltzman over here at, at this physician practice. That's not what that, that's not what this is. It needs to be a common goal and we need to shrink the ecosystem so all of those things can fit together and then we can actually leverage telehealth for what I described before, filling gaps. You know, you can only see so many patients in a day. Some patients need more care. Some patients need more time. Sometimes it's immediate, sometimes it's not but opening the access door and allowing these things to come together without causing friction in that continuity of care is the gold for telehealth. And I think it's got to find its way. And we're not there yet, but I think that's where it needs to go. And I think that, I think it'll get closer in the next year or two. You mentioned AI and machine learning a little while ago. Do you foresee the day where telehealth marries up with AI and machine learning and if I call my doctor's office, where I used to just call directly to telehealth to a doctor I didn't necessarily know or have a relationship with, that the first line of encounter is AI and machine learning and the ability to talk to, for lack of a better word, a bot? I don't think that it will go down the road where folks are talking to the bots. I think this is, in healthcare, we need people. We need education to the consumers. I think AI is going to drive our understanding of the patient journey in a, in a much different way than we know it today. We know a lot about comorbidities and what leads to what, and there's some incredible experts out there that are much better than I at, at describing how all these things link together. I think AI is going to help us better understand that journey in a much more predictive way than we are able to today. I think the next part of that AI is figuring out how to connect to these telehealth companies or to these delivery mechanisms sooner. So it's one thing to know, you know, AI does, does a great job of helping us understand or gain insight. What we're not doing with some of this is making an ecosystem where it's automated and connected to the delivery mechanism. You know, Dr. Davis should be able to wake up one morning and say, you know, and see a, a queue of patients that he knows he needs to address something because this behavior has happened. Or, you know, somebody has, has gone down a particular path, they need to reach out, educate them, and put them on a plan. Otherwise, they don't know until there's a diagnosis and a big cost and somebody has had a, a negative event. How do we learn about it ahead of time without being invasive? Where do you see, in terms of the players in the current healthcare system, where do you see the friction points being as I'm calling it telehealth 2.0, for lack of a better term, starts becoming adopted as you're describing it? 
So I, the major pain points to me are just aligning incentives. I mean, this is the pain point. So you think about all the players, you've got the healthcare system, you know, the hospitals and the practices who are trying to figure out telehealth. Should I do it virtually? Should I bring in a third party to help me for it with my virtual visits? Should I ask my existing docs? Then there's the consumers that are trying to figure out what's the best path for me to get care. And then the payers, you have the insurance companies who are trying to design benefits to do what? Is it to improve care? Is it to reduce cost? Is it how, how are we designing these benefits to fit? So once we start aligning those, the you know, sort of the incentives, we're starting to align the goals, the friction is in that alignment. Because right now, if I'm a consumer who's ultimately making the decision, if my health plan doesn't provide a benefit that actually literally benefits me beyond my just my decision today, do I see doc A or doc B? Do I go to this telehealth intervention or do I wait two weeks and go in to see this other specialist? Until there's a goal that fits all of those folks and there's a benefit plan that says, Mr. Consumer, or Mrs. Consumer, here's what a good decision looks like. Here's what your resources are to make that. And here's how we're gonna give you a benefit to do that and urge them to do it. So I think it's gonna be driven by the plans ultimately to be able to design those to drive consumer behavior. So I think the biggest hurdle is the time and effort it's going to take to shift those plan designs. Do you see any friction coming from people who are making a lot of money, frankly, treating patients who are further along in a disease state? Put that in English, hospitals? I do, I, I think there will be some friction, but I think what's finally happening is there's a competitive marketplace where other, because of telehealth now and because of the digital landscape, there's some competition. It's not, I just have to go to my local place up the road like it has been for years and years. Now I have options and all of a sudden I'm seeing what those options look like. There's commercials on TV now. It's not just let me go to my, my local clinic or specialist. So I think ultimately, yes, there's friction, but I think the market dynamics of that friction will help work that out. So I think there's a place for it and I think it's going to work out. Interesting. Now, you mentioned, reel back a little bit, you mentioned diabetes is one of the things that, because that's kind of an easy thing to describe. What are the other disease states that you guys are focusing on? I think one that is incredibly important that I haven't mentioned yet is that musculoskeletal disease in general. Now, that could, you know, knees, that, that, that encompasses quite a bit. But there is so much opportunity to, you know, I'm an example. I was a 42-year-old man that had a complete knee replacement. There's probably some things I should have done differently or decisions I could have made or options I had a decade ago. I didn't know what those were. I didn't know why I was on a path for a knee replacement. Can we, I think there's a way in which we can leverage telehealth to extend the time to get those surgeries, to extend the time on your own joints and your own body and actually feel better longer. And moreover, I think there's more resources than people even know are out there that can help them go from ouch to all better in a whole different way than they're used to. The old structure is you go see your, your orthopedic surgeon, you have your surgery, you go to rehab. That's what you know, that's what it is. But there's, there's a lot of great technology and resources out there. Telehealth has been huge in helping in that area. And I think what, what we can help do and what we can do a better job of in the industry, and this is what we're hoping to really dig in at Congruity, is to really help understand that patient journey to start getting much more predictive about the pre and or emerging diagnoses again in the musculoskeletal space. Because I think we can help keep people healthier longer 
And the cost of those surgeries and that care is so is so high that just a little maintenance and some better education and some better resources and access sooner to the right populations can really have a dramatic effect. Do you see this as a longer term plan? I mean, we're hardly starting to get to the point where when you need a knee replacement, we can tell you what your options are. Or is this a, a kind of a geometric progression in terms of how this is going to go? Is the hill steeper or is the hill just further along? I think it's further along. I mean, it's it's steep by because it's hel- it, by nature of healthcare, every hill is steep. It's I think this is a little bit further down the road only because we still need to spend more time, leverage more data to understand it. And at the end of the day, it's change patient behavior, which means how do you get Justin Davis to know these things, everything I just described 10 years ago? I didn't know that 10 years ago. I, I wasn't educated in that way. I didn't know I had options. You get a referral, you go to where you're referred, you do what you're told. Well, and how do you get Justin Davis to care? I mean, the single biggest thing, most difficult thing to change in the universe is human behavior. So that's, you know, it, it's another one of the little molehills that that we're going to have to get past. I mean, I, I think there's a wholesale change in thinking. You and I were talking off air. I think there's a wholesale change in thinking from the patient side, which is has got to be the demand side and has got to say, look, there's got to be better ways to do this. And, you know, I think we've tried carrots. We've tried sticks. Maybe what we're going for right now is an orange stick. I don't know. But I mean, I, how do you change? How do you, we've got about a minute left. How do you think you change that behavior? Is it just incremental? I think it's incremental, but it's, we, we've got to pound the pavement really hard to help people understand what their options are and what the implications of bad decisions are. I think that's the key. If, it, if I know it's my $20 copay, whether I do A or I do B, it doesn't mean anything to me. Somehow we have to be educated and create a much more open market and much higher level of access to things that drive better behavior versus things that don't. Right now, it's too easy to make bad decisions and people sure. take the, the easy path. You know, back to plan design, how do we create you know, healthcare plans that drive and incent consumers to be paying attention? Because ultimately, that's what's going to do it. It's going to be a plan that says, I'm, I need to pay attention because it's not $20 for A and $20 for B. It's, I come out ahead if I do this thing. And that should be driven by clinical research. That should be driven by outcomes. And it's not always now as it should be. No, it's it's not. And that's a great place to end our conversation. But as this develops, Justin, we hope you'll come back and update us on kind of the progress that's being made. Justin Davis, CEO at Congruity Health. Thanks so much for sharing your expertise with our audience. Thank you, David. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.